You're listening to The Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to The Wealth Standard Radio. This is Patrick Donahoe, and you are listening to episode 124. And um, I'm excited to talk about some of the things that we're going to be covering today because it is, uh, it's a revolving around something that has made a, a, just a massive difference in, in my life. And ultimately, it's where I, I gained so many friendships and ideas, uh, and it was an environment where I was pushed to uh, to limits that I don't really think I could have gotten to with without it. And uh, so today we're going to be discussing just uh, the just real estate in general, but also the importance of. Uh, of getting outside of your environment and going to conferences, going to events, going to speeches, getting getting outside of your normal routine and educating yourself around those that have a similar mindset. And uh, so we're going to have Russell Gray, who has been a, a huge mentor of mine for years now. Um, and, uh, and he is the co-host of the Real Estate Guys radio show and has ultimately you know gone through quite an ordeal in the last... Uh, you know, it's seven, eight years or so since the since the the economic shift in two thousand eight, and has really built a uh, a tribe and a following and a culture uh, alongside his his uh, uh, cohort uh, Robert Helms, and it, it's been fascinating to see their growth and also just be able to experience um, their family and their culture and what they've built over the last few years. So it's an awesome interview. You guys are definitely going to enjoy it. Um, and uh, the reason why we're doing it now is because the registration for the Summit at Sea, which is their annual event that takes place over the course of a week on a cruise ship of all places. Uh, but uh, it's, it's uh, registrations coming up and so information uh, in regards to the 2016 Summit at Sea can be found on therealestateguysradio.com. So uh, I believe it, there's no the there, it's just realestateguysradio.com. But we'll put um, all that information, the accurate links and so forth inside of the uh, inside of the show notes. Uh, but you guys are gonna really enjoy our conversation. It's, it's, we weren't able to get into what, uh, you know, everything that we could. I mean, he is just a mountain of, he, he's a, he has a huge amount of knowledge and so we can get off on different tangents but but really what I want you to glean from this this uh, uh, the show is essentially the just the idea behind the economy and the idea behind perspective and the idea behind paradigms and how we view the world and looking at what I've gleaned from being in uh, in the, you know the real estate guys circle of influence is is essentially the minds that they've surrounded around themselves and and essentially those that really saw what was happening in 2008 and and knew what to do. They knew how to take advantage of the coming opportunity. And looking at what we're faced with right now, uh, there are so many different signs that things could shift. And in that shift, there's going to be uh, fallout and there's going to be, there's going to be change and there's going to be emotions that run high. And as I've talked about on the show many times, when emotions are high, logic is low. And during those, during those times in that environment is where uh, opportunity can and most likely will exist. So looking at what you'll glean from this podcast, it's going to be a multitude of things. It's going to be a drive to maybe look at real estate and understand it as a potential investment vehicle uh, for you. Uh, But it's also really to uh, look at who you surround yourself with 
the culture that you have around yourself. And, and Russ said something, or he always says this, but he basically says that if you're the smartest guy in the room, it's time to, uh, to find another room. And he is, he is definitely proof of that. Uh, although he is a brilliant guy, he has surrounded himself with minds that really help him see the, uh, the, you know, the different perspective that, uh, that exists and being, you know, able to see that is obviously what, uh, what creates opportunities. So we're going to go ahead and cut to that interview. I hope you enjoy. Uh, it's an honor to welcome to the show, Russell Gray. Uh, Ru- Russ is the co-host of the Real Estate Guys radio show, which has been broadcasting for almost maybe even at 20 years. And they have listeners in 190 countries and they uh, have interviewed guests such as uh, Steve Forbes, Donald Trump, Robert Kiyosaki, uh, Peter Schiff, Gia were Griffin. I mean, the list, like we can spend 30 minutes just talking about the list of people that have been on their show. Uh, but, but Russ, I've, I've had the fortune opportunity to, uh, to know him for the last several years. And I've come to the conclusion that he's one of the smartest guys and most well-researched guys that I know. And uh, I'm proud to call him a mentor and a friend. And, uh, and it's awesome to have him on the show. Russ, uh, Russ, welcome, welcome to the, to my podcast today. I'm used to being on your guys' podcast, but you're here today. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. Thank you, Patrick. And, uh, thanks for, uh, all your kind words. I'm blushing through the radio right now. <laughs> well, Russ, you know, it, it was, it was hard for me to kind of figure out what, what to, what to talk about, but because you know so much, you can talk, uh, very in, intelligently about a, a multitude of subjects, but what I, what I thought would be what I thought would be good because you know I, I know some of your background and and where you've come from and how you've learned so much and so I thought it would be interesting to talk about just your journey since since 2008 and looking at the things that you were committing to discovering and learning just because of the economic shift and so I thought that would be a really good place to start so you can give kind of the listeners are you know your your story and your background uh, and then how that's led to what you're doing today. Yeah. Um, and, and, and thanks for that. I, I think that obviously, you know, there's probably not too many people listening. They're all that interested in who Russell Gray is, but I think there's some things to be learned for every investor. You know, I was just like any, any other person out there. I'm, I'm working, I'm raising my family, I'm building up a portfolio, equity in a property, buy other properties, you know, stock investments, just all the usual game. And little by little, I began to realize that I was in over my head. And so I started wanting to study. And so I ordered the late night courses and do like a lot of people do. And I start learning about the tactical aspects of, of investing, particularly investing in real estate. Along the way, I decided I need to get into the mortgage business. But I'm kind of a big picture guy. And so I decided that in uh, going into the end of the 90s, um, just based on what I understood about basic financial planning concepts and demographics, it seemed to me that the baby boomer generation was going to begin to reposition their massive portfolios from equities to bonds. And that would mean that there would be more money coming into bonds. It would bid bond prices up, interest rates would go down, and a lot of that money uh, would find its way into real estate. And my Hmm. basis for that was the uh, back then the Clinton administration and the then Republican Congress had found a way to balance the budget and refinance a lot of the debt and uh, they were creating budget surpluses so the government wasn't cranking out treasuries and so wall street answered with mortgage-backed securities which a lot of people didn't even know what that term meant in 1999 of course by 2008 they everybody figured it knows out. what they are 
<laughs> yeah, so I ended up in the mortgage business from 2000 uh, to 2008. And uh, from 2000 to about 2006, I looked like a genius. And we were doing great, and I was acquiring millions of dollars of real estate all over the country and internationally. And uh, along the, the, that path, I, I met Robert Helms, my, my partner on the, the Real Estate Guys radio show, the founder of the show, and I became the co-host in June of 2004. And so we were having a great time. Uh, and then all of a sudden, that those mortgage-backed securities blew up uh, with the subprime crisis, crisis in 2008. It cost me my mortgage company. It cost me millions of dollars in real estate, and I was all but wiped out. And I sat there in the rubble of all of that going, wow. You know, I fancied myself a fairly well-read, fairly smart, fairly attentive guy, and I got crushed. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, you know, somebody out there, somebody out there saw this coming. And not just like, you know, the guy that's always saying the end of the world is coming, but somebody got it right for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of made it our mission to figure out who those people were the way they looked at things and and what could we learn so that the next time when we rebuilt everything, we would rebuild it on a much more solid footing. Well, there's going to be nothing. I mean, everything is everything is changing all, all the time. And that that crash, that's you know significant shift. It's not the only shift that's ever happened. Right. And there are people that do predict it, but often, you know, more often than not, it's not the majority. So what, so maybe as you were, you know, peering through the rubble, what were some of the, what were some of the, 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 some of the directions you took to, to learn about those that really had talked about uh, what was coming and, and what did you learn from them about what happened? Cause obviously what happened happened. But looking into the future, how have you seen that, you know, as significant influence to know what, if there's going to be a shift in the future? Well, you know, I mean, obviously, I look at things through the real estate lens because we're the real estate guys. And so what I found for real estate investors in particular, they're different than other types of investors. Real estate investors are very hands on. They're very you know, involved in what they're doing. And in many ways, they're myopic. A lot of people who invest in real estate uh, pick the market they happen to live in. Uh, they, they invest in product types they happen to understand. And a lot of times they find their deals through somebody they happen to know. Uh, you compare that to how professional money managers in the paper asset world operates, very different. And so right away, I just realized that there was a lot of really good things in the paper asset world. A lot of it I'd walked away from. You know, my, my dad lost a, a a $12 million fortune after taking company public in Silicon Valley in 1987, in the great crash in 1987. Mm -hmm. I happened to be in the securities business uh, selling mutual funds back then. And I, I, I had to quit. I said, I can't do this. I mean, this thing is, I'm putting people into danger. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I, you know, a lot of people working in the financial services business really don't know what the heck they're doing. And they're just salespeople. And I was one of them. And so I, I decided to get out and start studying more. And eventually I decided I was interested in things that were more real, they were more tangible, they were easier to understand and control. And that's how I ended up gravitating towards real estate. So now chronologically that didn't flow well, but, but that's kind of what happened. And then later, as I said, I ended up going into the mortgage side of things uh, and then acquired a lot of real estate. But, uh, but after coming out of 2008, I, I realized that the people who were really successful investors in whatever asset types they were, you know, guys like Warren Buffett, guys that, you know, were, were running big portfolios, uh, or even following Donald Trump's rise and fall, right? I mean, same thing. He got, he got crushed 
in, in the uh, real estate bust, the savings and loan bust back in the 90s. He was mm -hmm. over leveraged and he came out. In fact, I had a chance to ask Donald Trump some questions personally. And, um, you know, I asked him, I said, what did you learn? And he said, well, I learned in the up times. I didn't really learn anything. It was in the down times that <laughs> I, I learned the most. And he goes, what I learned was that you should always have some cash on hand, always be liquid. Mm -hmm. And of course, I wasn't, you know, going into 2008. My liquidity was based on credit lines, which I had immense credit lines, but they all got shut down in the credit crunch. And all of a sudden, I became illiquid almost overnight. Oh. I also was very dependent upon the credit markets for my livelihood because I marketed credit. I was a, I was a mortgage, mortgage broker. Mortgage guy, yep. Yeah. And it never occurred to me that I, how, how very exposed I was to one particular aspect of the economy. And worse than that, even if I had realized it, I didn't understand it at all. I didn't understand the bond market, really. I mean, I understood kind of the relationship between the stock market and the, and the, the bond market. And I understood, you know, what bonds were and how uh, the Fed affected interest rates through it. I mean, I understood some of it. But I really didn't understand what Wall Street was doing with derivatives and these uh, collateralized debt obligations and all the things that we found out about. And I also didn't really understand why subprime even existed in the first place and the role that the government subsidies through Fannie and Freddie in creating that market yep. in the economy. So, you know, long answer uh, to your question is I realized I needed to see a much bigger picture, which meant I needed to change the people I was hanging out with. I needed to change the people I was listening to. And probably the most important thing I learned is that I wanted to be the smartest guy I could be. And I never wanted to be the smartest guy in the room. <laughs> so who are maybe some of those people that you surrounded yourself with and, and why did you ultimately seek them, seek them out? Because a lot of them you're hanging out with now. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you, you take what you have to get what you need. And in our case, we had the Real Estate Guys radio show, which at the time wasn't even really a for-profit business. It was just this thing that we did because it was fun. You know, Robert and I just love to teach and speak. And so we did that. And we used the show as a place to just get together and talk. Um, ultimately, we decided to make it a business. And so that kind of became my challenge is how do I do this? And it was a mixed blessing because uh, I had no background in radio. But fortunately, uh, that was a blessing because I had no background in radio. I, I, had, a, I had no uh, paradigms or prejudices that I had to break. I just came in and, and started looking for solutions and I saw them. Uh, so we started interviewing people. We started using the show as an opportunity to interview people. And so we started uh, identifying the people we were looking for, you know, by reading books and going to conferences and uh, listening to, you know, looking people up on the internet and, and then finding out who the people, the smart people we were talking to were paying attention to. So, you know, kind of the way you, you network. And then we would approach them about doing an interview on the show. And we would have a chance to get to know them. And, uh, and then when we got to know them a little bit better, we would uh, try to get them to come do an event with us uh, that we do every year, as you well know, and mm -hmm. been with us many times. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, th and that's where we had a chance to really develop relationships. So obviously, um, the real estate guys have had a longstanding relationship with Robert Kiyosaki. And what a lot of people don't know about Robert Kiyosaki is that uh, he was one of the very few people that were sounding the warning bell leading up to 2008. And there's a lot of people after the fact that were running around saying they were sounding the warning bell, but very few people can pull out video clips of them on national television, you know, on brand name um, uh, channels and networks uh, saying it and then getting it right. I mean, I've got a video clip of Robert uh, warning the CNN news anchor that uh, Lehman Brothers was in trouble 
and that they government was probably going to bail out uh, the the mess when it happened, and that was going to be a taxpayer expense. Six months later, that's exactly what, that's happened. what happened. He's on record. Yeah. Peter Schiff is another guy who isn't a real estate guy. At least Robert Kiyosaki, with you know, is kind of a real estate guy. He believes in real estate. You know, Peter's a stockbroker, but you know, Peter comes from an Austrian understanding of economics. Yep. I didn't even really at that time completely understand the difference between the Keynesian view and the Austrian view. Mm -hmm. I was instinctively Austrian. I just didn't know it. And I learned that when I went to Freedom Fest and I started listening to Mark Skousen, who yep. is a renowned economist and been on our show many times, has come on our summit at sea. And he was a guy that I, you know, taught me a lot. And obviously, along the way, we met you, mm -hmm. and uh, you're a well-read guy, and, and you come from the Austrian side of things, and you've introduced me to people and shared books with me. And so being part of a mastermind group, um, there's a lot of brilliant people out there that aren't household names, but Kiyosaki, uh, Schiff, and uh, Skousen were three guys that really had a profound impact on, on changing how uh, Robert Helms and I uh, looked at real estate, real estate investing, and 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 how we went about choosing markets and financial structures that we felt would withstand, if Peter Schiff is correct, if Kiyosaki is correct, mm -hmm. the next crash, which is you know allegedly going to be even bigger than the one in two thousand eight. Well, you and one of the things that you know you 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 and I think I have this this characteristic in me as well is that when you when you get when you get affected or you or you seemingly fail or something negative happens, you, you try to, you don't keel over, you don't keel over, you go and figure out, you know, what lesson were you supposed to learn? And you, I think you've done, done that to the, to the X nth degree because you went and camped out for, and you still do it every single year at Freedom Fest, which is basically like the, the gulch gulch of economists and Austrians and, and guys that really understand the business cycle and understand, uh, you know, the, the why part of the pun, but the why, you know, economies grow and why they, why they collapse. And so it's, it's made you, you know, one of the smart, I mean, and you were smart previous to that, but what you've learned since then, just because of the convert, you know, from the conversations that you and I are fortunate enough to have, you know, you, you are around the right people. And when things start to shift, then, you know, that's when the opportunities arise because you look at the 2008 and 2009 uh, debacle and, you know, who are the ones that really made out? Because during those crises is when most people sell, but that's when all of the guys that understand, you know, what those signals are, that's when they're, that's when they're buying. So what, so le as you've kind of gone into the 2009, 2010, 2011, now we're 2015, like what are, what are some of the things that you've learned that have given you some foresight instead of hindsight in regards to what's going to be coming down, coming down the line? Well, I, I think you actually touched on a couple of things along the way that I think are worthy of, of, of pointing out. Uh, one, of the, one of the early trainers I had in my life was a guy named Tom Hopkins. Tom mm -hmm. Hopkins wrote a book, How to Master the Art of Selling. Mm -hmm. And for anybody that's ever been in selling, they understand that you have to face a lot of rejection. And part of that is learning how to manage your psychology. And he has an affirmation that he teaches you that I never see failure as failure, but just an opportunity to learn. In other words, uh, failure is the feedback I need to improve myself. 
And Tom taught me that very early in my career, and it served me my entire life. Every time something goes bad, I don't take it personally. I just try to figure out what I need to learn so that next time I'm better. Uh, so I think that that's important. Um, I think that uh, the other part of it is is that you know you, you, you call me smart, which I appreciate, but I, I don't I don't really think I'm all that smart. I do think though that um, I'm not. Um, I'm not, I'm not afraid of learning. I'm not afraid of admitting that I don't know or I made a mistake, which you know we just talked to. And the other thing is I think I just put the time in. Mm -hmm. I, I really make sure I put the time in. I mean, I read all the time. I go to conferences. I listen. I pay attention. And I try really hard to listen to all sides of an argument. And sometimes that's tough, you know, because I have my own prejudices. But, you know, on our on our website, we have a recommended reading list. And one of the big topics is about the Fed. And I have books there that are critical of the Fed. Uh, but I also have books listed there that are, are supportive of the Fed. In fact, I just uh, a week ago, I was at a press conference where Ben Bernanke was uh, there, and he was touting his new book, The Courage to Act. And of course, you know, from Bernanke's standpoint, you know, he feels that he saved the economy. And a lot of people believe that. And yet, you know, there's other people who think that he just contributed, he poured gasoline on the fire that Alan Greenspan lit. And, uh, you know, so that's a different, different position. I think you have to listen to both sides. One of the things I really enjoy about Freedom Fest is they do debates. Like last year, uh, they had, or the last Freedom Fest, Mark had um, Paul Krugman, who I'm sure you know, the, the Nobel Prize winning uh, liberal economist that writes for the New York Times. And they had Steve Moore, who was arguing from a more conservative standpoint, uh, journalist editor from the Wall Street Journal. And I listened to both sides. I think they were both right in some ways, and I think they were both wrong in some ways. Mm -hmm. And I, if I can't hear the other side of the argument, then I know that I'm not seeing the whole perspective. And so I think that's a real important quality, and I, I feel like I have that. Um, sometimes I really have to work at it, but it's an important thing to do, and we always encourage our listeners, because sometimes, you know, we, we have our opinions, and sometimes we put people on the show that are controversial. We had G. Edward Griffin, who wrote the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island, and that is an extremely critical book of the Federal Reserve, and, and he calls it a cartel. It's a nefariously conceived uh, entity that is run by international uh, a cabal of people that are, you know, intent on world domination, and it's a system of slavery. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. Uh, some people don't see it that way, but I want to hear what the guy has to say. Mm -hmm. um, we had him on the show one time, and boy, you know, we don't get a lot of criticism on the show, but we we got some we got some fiery emails from some people who just thought we'd fallen off the deep end. Like, <laughs> and then they get mad because you know he said things that we didn't rebut. Yeah. But you know, our job isn't to to force our opinion down our guest's throat. Yep. Uh, you know, our job is to hear what they have to say and draw them out. Yep. So uh, I think those were important things. And then I can, you know, I mean, I can also talk about like the, the more technical things that I learned and just in terms of, you know, how, you know, what's going on macroeconomically, how we've picked the markets. Robert and I've had a great track record of picking great real estate markets since the crash. Uh, and instead of chasing a trend, we've been able to get there on fundamentals. Uh, and we've had gotten a lot of feedback from our listeners that have gone into these markets and had great success. And so there are things you can learn economically that can help you be a better investor. But it starts with having the right mindset and then getting around the right people and keeping your mind open to all sides of whatever the topic of discussion is. And I think the two what's what's profound to me as you've been speaking, what's been going through my mind is there's 
there's really kind of two two sets of mindset that you're that you're talking about because there are those that you know I, I wouldn't maybe not use the word pessimistic, but there are those like like Griffin and, and even you know even Peter to to an extent. There and at Freedom Fest, there's a lot of people that fear this coming collapse, right? And and who knows what's what's really going to to happen. But in the end, you also have the mindset of being an opportunist. Now, an opportunist isn't necessarily you know, taking advantage, taking advantage, but an opportunist is really just looking at the state of affairs and, uh, essentially directing your business, directing your life, uh, after that, because in the end, there's not much that we, there is some things we can control, but for the most part, the only thing we can really control is ourselves and the way that we act. And so the other group that you surround yourself with is, is the rich dad organization, because they are very proactive in taking advantage of opportunity. And then, you know, a couple of years ago when Kiyosaki was on the cruise, you know, one of the things, one of the main things that I walked away from was, you know, ending the Fed is a tall order. But in the end, are you really going to be able to to end end the Fed, uh, regardless of your of your theories and your philosophy? He said, "Be the Fed, right? Figure out ways in which you can be of value to somebody. And when you're of value to somebody, you're going to essentially print your own money because they're going to pay you for your value. And from what you guys have created." Over the last several years, whether it's with the summit at sea or some of the other events that you hold, and even taking advantage of you know some of the the, the other opportunities off, offshore for real estate development, I mean, essentially you've taken these philosophies, you've taken these theories, and you've you've realized the angle, but you also have taken advantage of where you thought the economy was going. Correct? Well, yeah. I mean, it goes down to what Ben Bernanke said. It's the courage to act. You know, the, the reason people, you know, buy high and sell low is because they don't have courage of convictions. They they try to they do what the herd is doing and they, they get nervous. You can't you can't enter a position against the crowd unless you're sure you know why you're going in. Yep. And you don't get out when you should, when everybody else thinks that, you know, it's 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 pie in the sky and it's just going to grow to the moon. Uh, you don't get out. Uh, you have to be willing to be a, a, a person of conviction and understanding. And so, you know, while I don't necessarily agree with Ben Bernanke, uh, the fact that uh, he took a lot of criticism and did what he felt was the right thing to do, I admire that. You know, and I admire that about Peter Schiff and his father, Erwin Schiff, is a guy who was incarcerated because of his strong stance against the income tax. Mm -hmm. I don't care whether you agree with his position or not on that. The fact of the matter is this was a guy that believed so strongly in what he saw, he was willing to make uh, decisions and act upon his uh, his understanding. And this is the key. Most people, investor-wise, and in many ways, uh, politically and otherwise, want to abdicate the responsibility of studying, learning, and understanding and decision-making. They want to be able to blame somebody else when something goes wrong. So I'm going to hire a money manager, and then when I lose all my money, I can blame him. You know, When I lost all my money, I blame me. I took personal responsibility in it, and now I'm taking personal responsibility to understand you know, why it happened and to get in a position to build it all back, and we're doing that. And it did. It led us offshore um, because as we began to understand some of the fundamental weaknesses in the United States economy, some of the fundamental shifts in the expanding emerging markets and globalization, some of the demographic shifts. Uh, and how to try to get on the right end of those. In our particular case, we went into resort property investing because we wanted to have a chance to derive rents from the affluent, and the affluent don't rent their houses from you. 
but they will rent their resort property and their rental property from you. And so if you have the right market with a good supply demand balance or imbalance that you can capitalize on and other things that might be attractive, then you can catch a wave, so to speak. And, and so, you know, we've attempted to do that. And so far we've had, we've had good success with that. On the flip side of that, you look at what's going on economically in the United States. You've got 30 years of falling real wages. People are getting poorer. That's not a uh, conjecture. That, that, that's a fact, and it's mm -hmm. pretty easy to find. You have interest rates that have been on a 30-year downward trend that have been stuck at the zero bound for the last five, six, seven, eight years. And we can't even muster up a quarter basis, you know, a, a, a quarter, quarter point, basis point hike. 25 basis point raise in spite of all this uh, rhetoric that we have a booming economy. We can't even get, we can't even get off the mat as far as interest <laughs> rates go. And our jobs reports get revised down. Our wages are going down. Uh, the average age of our fast food workers is going up, which means these kids can't get, you know, they go to college, but they can't go out and get a real job. Uh, labor participation rate is down. Home ownership rate is at nearly 50-year low, in spite of mortgage rates being under 4%. I mean, so it just all doesn't add up. And, and, and to your point, Patrick, you know, there are people who look at it and they see the problem. One of the things I learned from Robert Kiyosaki is the flip side of every problem is an opportunity. But the only way you can see the opportunity is if you stand on the edge of the coin, if you will, so you can see both the problem and the and opportunity. The, yep, exactly. And that's really important. And once you do that, then you have to understand it's not very crowded on the edge. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have the doom and gloomers on the one side. You're going to have the pie in the sky people on the other side. And you're going to have to be your own man and make your own decision. And you're going to, a lot of times, be out there a little bit alone. And you can't be afraid. You, you know, with that said, one of the things I learned is don't bet the farm on anything, right? I mean, no matter how solid the deal looks, no matter how smart you think you are, uh, both in the stock market and in the real estate market and in business, I have put all my chips on one color at one time or other in my life. And in all three circumstances, I lost big because something that I didn't see coming hit Happened. me. And so now I don't do that anymore. Now I'm, I'm, I'm more diversified, although I'm not a big fan of paper assets. I'm a much bigger fan of real assets, and especially in a weakening economy, I think that things that are real and essential are probably going to stand the test of time better than things that are a little bit more spe speculative or trendy. You might make a bigger pop, and maybe you feel stupid when you didn't get in on the Facebook IPO or whatever. But, you know, to me, owning Facebook stock isn't real and essential, and even having a Facebook account isn't necessary, but I'm probably really committed to having a roof over my head. I'm probably really committed to eating. I'm probably really committed to having, uh, you know, heated air, you know, in the winter and gasoline in my car to transport myself around. So I think there's certain things you can invest on, invest in that probably will stand up uh, no matter what happens. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, Simon Black is another guy that we pay a lot of attention to, a very sharp young man who's making a big difference in the world. And, and, and in spite of him reporting on all the problems that are out there, one thing that he constantly reiterates is how much faith he has in the human race mm -hmm. and human beings. And you look back in our history, and he's a big historian, and over the centuries, all the stupid things, the governments that come and governments that go, and all the pain and suffering that they create with their mishandling of their responsibilities, at the end of the day, if people find a way to rise up and find opportunity because of all the chaos, 
And my hope is that through guys like you and the work that we do and the people that we work with and support, that we're going to be part of the solution because we're out there helping to educate people, to keep them positive, keep them optimistic, but not just pie in the sky, through real education, seeing the problems for what they are, but also seeing where the opportunities are so that when the, when the time comes, those people can step in and they buy the distressed assets. We got a lot of people in our audience that have been a big part of scooping up houses that were in foreclosure closure and properties that were in distress, getting them serviced, getting them uh, back in use again, contributing to the local economy and housing families or businesses or whatever the nature of it was. That wouldn't happen if there weren't educated people who had put something aside knowing that the bad time was coming and then stepping in boldly when everybody else is running, and they were you're buying. running into the fire to go put it out and to begin to create stability. And the more of us that are out there in the community that are part of the fire brigade, if you will, <laughs> the less likely that the, the, the whatever the next big thing that's going to happen is, is going to take us all out. Uh, and so the more of us, the more of us that participate, the safer it's going to be. So I, I love what you're doing with your show, Patrick, and the work that you do in educating, uh, you, you know, your customers and your listeners and uh, really happy to be here today. Well, I think one thing, and we can maybe, maybe end, end with this. And I, I think you could, hopefully you'll agree with this, but I think one of the most valuable assets that you've, you've built over the last, you know, eight, nine years is, is not a, it's not a tangible asset. It's probably the most real asset that exists, which is your, which is your network, which is people. And I, I look at the, the example you gave that is two sides of the coin and then the edge. Uh, you believe that to, to a T and I don't, I, I wish people would realize how profound that example is because in the end, all human beings have frailty, right? We're all, we're all, we don't know everything. We always make mistakes and we're fallible. Uh, but in the, in the end, people have strengths and people understand things. And when you get together with groups of people that have a very similar philosophy, it's amazing what can be created. And, and I have to say, I mean, since, you know, since I, I started to come on the, the summit, uh, it has really, you guys have been my, my, my family, my, my second family. Uh, because there are way, the things that we believe is definitely not amongst the, the majority and the things we talk about and the things we're able to create, you know, it, that just doesn't happen in the common circles of influence. And so the summit is, is one of those, you know, one of those events where, you know, I was joking with you before I'm, I said, what, what do you think the GDP of the summit has, has been since you guys started just because of all the relationships that are created, the developments that are created, the education that exists there, the back and forth, the questioning, the realizations, people getting over their fears and having that final push that gets them to, you know, quit their job and pursue their dreams. I mean, it's, it's profound what you've been, what you've been creating both on your radio show and on, and on the summit. And, and I, I hope you can agree with me. The biggest asset that you have there is, is the people you surround yourself with, because when you go in to make and make a financial decision now, I mean, it, it might be, you know, your, your mind that takes the majority of that decision, but you have, you know, people on speed dial that uh, are, are brilliant and experts and masters in what they, in what they do. And now your edge of the coin, maybe the, for the majority, their edge of the coin is very tiny, but your edge of the coin has, has definitely grown since 2008. But I, I, I you know, would think you would, you would credit that to the, to the summit uh, and what you guys put on every year, but maybe take a moment and just explain, you know, your, your experience with the summit and what your, you know, what your, cause you guys don't make hardly 
any money off of it. What's, what's your, what's your purpose behind doing it? And what are, you know, just some examples, very general examples of, uh, how, how it's transformed people's lives. Well, I mean, you know, the summit, the summit at sea for, for anyone who has no idea what we're talking about is our <laughs> annual conference. We've done it for 13 years in a row. We've done it through the ups and the downs. We did it when real estate was red hot. We did it when real estate was in the toilet. Uh, we've done it, uh, throughout the whole time. And so we have the next one coming up would be our 14th annual in, uh, late February 2016. And it's, 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 a, about a week, give or take. I mean, you know, it's probably more like eight days. We start a couple of days in a hotel, and then we all get on a cruise ship, and we spend a week together on a cruise ship. And it's great because we can't get away from each other. So we, you know, we see each other at breakfast. We're in sessions all day when we're at sea. We go to cocktail parties and dinner together. Uh, and then we have conversations late at night. We go to the beach together. Um, we just spend a lot of time together. And it's usually between 100 and 200 people and faculty. So it's um, big enough that you get a lot of perspectives, um, but not so big that you don't get a chance to interact with everybody and, and hear what they have to say. So the purpose of it, um, you know, we started out, it was, it was a big event where we were doing a lot of education. And um, after we came through the crash, we realized that it was an opportunity to go build strategic relationships with people and really get to know them personally. So we, we started expanding our faculty and expanding what it is we were talking about. And it really has, as you know, Patrick, has become, become magical. So uh, we, we talk about real estate for sure, but we also talk about economics. We talk about business, because if you don't know how to create revenue, and manage cash flow, then you probably work for somebody who does. Mm -hmm. It's the two classes of people out there. Either you know how to generate money and, and manage it, or you work for somebody who does. And so today, we live in the age of the entrepreneur. You know, the, the, the days of going to work for the company and working for 40 years and getting over. a gold watch and a pension are way, way over. So, you know, right now we're focused on young people and we want to see young people. One of the sessions we're going to be doing in the 2016 summit is going to be all in the family, um, building generational wealth, not just by how do I transfer the wealth I've accumulated. So, you know, I, my, my children become Paris Hilton trust fund babies and squander it and squander the reputation and your wealth. Uh, you know, and but it's really more about how do we train them up to, to not only manage the money, but how do we teach them how to start a business? How do we teach them how to understand what's going on so that if they lost everything, they could pick it back up and rebuild it? I'm happy that I went through the process of losing everything because uh, it forced me to rebuild. And, you know, I've started many businesses in my life and I've built portfolios and lost portfolios. Hopefully I'm done doing that and I'm going to build this one properly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So far, so good. Um, but, but the summit has been, you know, a big part of that. So we have uh, round table discussions. We have dinner with the faculty. We have um, the beach parties. We have panels where we get a chance to hear people and there's a lot of interaction where the people get to ask questions. So uh, the summit has been an opportunity for people to build relationships, not only with the faculty, but with other investors from around the world. And I, I totally agree with you, Patrick, probably the most valuable thing that Robert and I have built is this network of people that we are now connected to. And if, if anything really, really bad were to happen, or maybe I should say when something really, really bad happens, uh, we have people we can reach out to. You know, I feel like right now, I know, I could pick up the phone and call Robert Kiyosaki or Peter Schiff, and I could say, hey, guys, you know, this big event just happened. What do you think it means? 
And, you know, we, we Bob Murphy, a friend of yours, an economist. We've had Mark Skousen. Um, these are people we've become friends with, people that are experts in financing and oil and gas, people that are experts in precious metals. Uh, one of the guys we're going to have this year, you know, Anthem, he's coming. And uh, he's just created a gold-backed cryptocurrency. Anthem was the guy that really helped me even understand what a cryptocurrency was. Both he and Simon Black, give you an example, last year on the summit, we got a chance to introduce Simon Black of Sovereign Man to Robert Kiyosaki, who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Peter Schiff. And all three of us are sitting at dinner and we're and talking Bitcoin, Bitcoin. debate, right? It was amazing. And, <laughs> and, and of course, Simon's the younger guy, and so he's trying to explain to us old farts what Bitcoin really is and what it represents. And Kiyosaki and, and Peter and I, I mean, we're, we're kind of not getting it, right? But again, being on that edge and keeping my mind open, I spent the, the, the last year, I've spent trying to understand it better. And we invited Anthem to come out to one of our syndication mentoring club meetups uh, that we happen to have in Las Vegas. And finally, for me, the light bulb went off. And then, and then once I finally got my mind around blockchain technology and what it really represented was the decentralization, I realized that the banking industry is about to change. Yep. And it's already been changing. It's already changing. And, you know, obviously you're in that, you know, we did the show with you about private banking. In fact, one of the sessions we're going to be doing, and you're going to be a part of that, is the mm -hmm. future of money in banking. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be talking about where banking is really going. And when you realize that technology, especially this decentralized blockchain technology, makes many of the institutions that we've created as human beings in order to bring the accountability of the group to the individual, which is really what government is, right? Government is basically making the individual accountable to society. Mm -hmm. You can do a lot of that without a government. Exactly. You can especially do a these lot days. of it through technology. I mean, yep. just the accountability that merchants have right now through things like Yelp and, you know, the reviews that you get. Or look what Uber is doing in terms of reallocating the way resources, making and these companies... Well, just people on social media, they're all accountable now because they're, they're stupid parties all get posted online. <laughs> yeah. So these, these are major... Uh, these are megatrends, if you will, that are, are really affecting our society. And, you know, if you don't get away from the daily grind, if you don't put yourself in a position where you can focus on these things with the right people, people who can actually give you perspectives and expand your thinking, then you're going to miss these megatrends. And you're going to be a lot like some of these institutions. And I, I'm going to go after the banking industry in particular. that are fighting tooth and nail to hang on to models that are 100 years old that not only don't work, Mm -hmm. But they're literally being rebelled against at both yep. the sovereign level and the street level. Look, the yep. rise of Bitcoin is the common man's repudiation of a banking system that no longer serves them. Yep. And you look at the, how the record sales of gold and silver uh, in the United States and the, the stockpiling of gold by China and Russia, part of two of the largest of the BRICS, the emerging economies. There is, there's a changing of the guard going on right now. We're going to live through a shift that nobody who's alive really has seen because the Ever. last time the handoff went from Britain to, uh, to the United States, a lot of that began before most of us were born. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, unless you're a student of history, you don't really understand. Of course, before it was Britain, Britain, you know, took it away from France. And now you look at, you know, you look at the British. The British used to be the empire, right? But we do development in Belize. And Belize used to be the former British Honduras. Mm -hmm. and, and you look at the British influence around the world, you know, in the 1800s. Today, the British Army is, is smaller than the New York City Police Department. <laughs> is they're it just, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, they're just, they're, they're, they're a non, I mean, they still have the, the pomp and circumstance of being, you know, the empire, yeah. but they're not. And they still they're wear not. the fluff, they still wear the furry hats. Yeah, and the thing is, I mean, you ask yourself, could this happen to the United States? You know, China is yeah. making a run at the U.S. dollar as far as the reserve currency. Probably not going to happen tomorrow or the next day. But, you know, it takes a while to reorganize your portfolio, especially if you're a real asset investor. Um, and so, you know, you don't want to get blindsided. I, I, you know, quote Peter Schiff, I'd rather be early than late. So coming back to the summit, the summit is the place that we go and we invite people to come to spend eight days once a year all getting together with brilliant people to talk about big topics that you would never really spend time to focus on and do it in such a way that you get to rub your brains against a lot of other brains and get that 360 kind of in a speed dating mechanism. And, and, and yet, as you know, we wrap a lot of fun. So we work hard, but we play hard. And it's fun. Because when you're going to work that hard, you got to rest your brain too, right? You yep. got, even you think and you concentrate and you focus and you're going through all this intense dialogue. Then yep. you just got to get away and you got to laugh and you got to <laughs> sing and dance and just have a little bit of fun. Yep. And then you go back into session again and you're back in, you're back to intense mode and you walk away with it and you've had a great time. It's like being a kid at summer camp and you have a year of, gathering information and getting ready for that next round. And we have a huge repeat. I mean, it, you know, we've had Robert Kiyosaki come with us twice. Uh, he's actually coming back with us again in 2016. Very excited to announce that. G. Edward Griffin came with us in 2012. Mm -hmm. He's coming back with us. Peter Schiff has been with us three years. Not sure if we're going to get him back this year, but he wants to come. It's just that his wife is pregnant. He may come, so we'll find out. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tom Hopkins, you know, I had mentioned is a guy that a hero of mine that uh, now has been two years in a row coming for the third year. Uh, Kenny McElroy has been for six or seven years in a row, and he can't make us with the whole cruise this next year, but he's going to come visit with us on the land portion. So, And the list goes on and on and on. The faculty we put together, you can't get these guys anywhere else. And, and what's fascinating is when you watch them talk to each other at a high level and you learn, they ask questions I wouldn't even think to ask, you know, I mean, it's just amazing. And so that's, that's all part of what the summit is. And it's fabulous. Robert and I are extremely proud of it. Um, and we do, it's making a difference in people's lives. People, people build relationships. Uh, there's no soliciting, you know, people aren't pitching deals or anything like that, but you know, over time people become friends and they do business together. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, the big thing, I think probably one of the, the two biggest things, and they're really kind of the same thing, is the people where one spouse has gone down the path of investing and study and gotten really interested, and the other spouse is just, yeah, they're, they're supportive, but they're just kind of lukewarm. And they can't get them to come to a conference, they can't get them to read a book, they can't get them to pay attention. But they say, hey, honey, do you want to come on this cruise? Oh, yeah, I'd love to come on a cruise. You don't have to come to any of the classes. You can just hang out on the deck and, and, and do, you know, go to the beach and do whatever you want to do. I can't tell you how many times we've had what we call affectionately the trailing spouse get on the ship and then decide after the first class that 
oh, these people are pretty cool. I think I'll sit in and listen. And then by the end, they're more on fire than the person who brought them. And the same is true for the children. Uh, My kids have grown up on this thing in 14 years. And to watch these young people begin to realize that old investors and people with a lot of money aren't really boring and stuffy after all. You know, when you're all hanging out and you're dancing and drinking together and having these lively conversations, kids can begin to see themselves being part of this tribe. Yep. And then they form partnerships or friendships, I should say, with kids uh, of other people. So, you know, my son, Sean, um, became buddies with Manny Garino, who is, you know, Gene does the assisted living uh, facilities training, which is a very interesting niche also. Mm -hmm. Um, And you you watch these, these, these young people begin to become part of the tribe as well. So to me, those are the most magical things. It's about the relationships. It's about the, the depth of understanding. It's about training up the next generation. It's about having a heck of a lot of fun and you know, not really worrying about trouble, but talking about it soberly and then making proactive plans. You know, If this happens, then we'll do that. If that happens, then we'll do this. Yep. And feeling like you know, there's going to be less circumstances that come along and completely blindside you. You're going to have some inkling that it's coming, and when something's confusing, you're going to have a network of people you can plug into to say, hey, what do you think, and how can I get a quick 360 because I have big decisions I need to make about my, my future and my portfolio. Now, you look at, I mean, you, you couldn't have said it better. I mean, it, it, you look at the environment that you associate with, and the environment often dictates how you learn. And, you know, I was at Blair, one of Blair Singer's trainings a few months ago, and he said that in in those confined and very specific environments is where you can have significant breakthroughs. And looking at the cruise, it's the perfect environment. I don't think there's any, there isn't anything else that's out there that's like it because you're in a, an environment where there are people that have done amazing things. There are people that have a similar mindset to you, people that want to, you know, do, do something with their lives and, and have that achievement. I think all human beings seek and you get, you get to do it with, you know, those that are in the protege, uh, the protege camp, you get to do those, do it with the guys that are in the master's camp. And it's it's a profound experience. And whether you're young or old, I mean, literally, it's just one or two ideas that you need to walk away with that could significantly change the course of uh, course of your life. And so and this is just it's one of those environments that's perfect to do it because there's a number of people. They're very focused groups, very focused conversations, very focused presentations. And then you're on a cruise ship. So you can't, you know, get on the Internet. You can't get on your cell phone. You know, you're unplugged in a sense. And so you're kind of forced to think about those specific things. And in those thought processes, those very focused thought processes is where you do come to conclusions that I don't think you could uh, outside of that environment. So, well, and it's a big commitment too, Patrick. I mean, you know, and so just think of the caliber of people you have that you're going to be with. You know, if you go to a free seminar, there's a certain caliber of people. And, you know, if it's a two hour free seminar, you know, then, then you've got a caliber. And but this is a, this is a costly event. It is a big time consuming event. There's major travel involved. You know, yep. uh, it's a big event. Some people think, oh, well, that that that's bad. But I look at it as good. Uh, the You know, the best things I get typically have a barrier to entry that means only the right people are going to be in the room. So we look exactly. forward to that. But, you know, I mean, this isn't really a commercial for the summit. To me, the message to your audience or anybody that's listening is is really the idea, like, um, 
Napoleon Hill put in his book, Think and Grow Rich. You know, one of the principles that he talked about in that classic book was the mastermind concept. Somehow, some way, if you want to be successful in a, in, in a world that's rapidly changing as ours is, it's going to be really important for you to be plugged in to the right people uh, who uh, are pursuing common goals and uh, can, are willing to share their tribal knowledge uh, and that are going to be supportive of you and your goals. And, you know, if you can't find that environment that's ideal for you and we couldn't, uh, you create it. Which you is create it. <laughs> and with that said, we also attend a lot of other conferences and we promote a lot of other conferences. You know, we've spoken about Freedom Fest. We've been at Freedom Fest six years in a row. Mm -hmm. We think it's a great conference and we promote it. Uh, we go to the New Orleans conference now every year. We've gone three, four years in a row and now we speak there and it's great and we love it and it's it's fantastic. It's It's not as isolated as the Summit at Sea. Uh, we do our thing on a cruise ship because, to your point, Patrick, it makes a really unique environment because it's one thing to sit in a conference together, um, but but where's the networking? You know, where's where's the dinner together? Where's the uh, panel discussions? And if there's a thousand people or two thousand people in the room, like many of these conferences are, where's the interaction with the faculty? You know, these guys fly in, they give their speech, and then they leave or they go back to their booth, and you you know you stand in line to get one or two minutes, maybe. Um, but but where do you get to spend an hour talking to Robert Kiyosaki or Peter Schiff or Tom Hopkins or any of these guys? You just you don't get that. Right. And we wanted that. So we said, well, and we didn't want it just for us because we can go interview these guys and then share what they have to say with our audience. And we do that. But but how could we create an environment where you actually got to have real time, interactive, live dialogue? And these guys can't get away from you. We give them only one day off. There's one day where they're off limits, and most of the time they don't take that day. But we give it to them. We offer them, hey, in the one day we're going to have one port where, where we just leave the faculty alone unless they choose to engage. And our experience has been, so far, every single faculty member every year has always That's chosen to engage because they're, just, they're having as much fun. We don't pay any of these guys to speak. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that. But we don't because we can't afford to. If we, if, we, if we had to pay them to speak, the thing would cost even more. Yep. I mean, as it is, we, we pay for the cruise, we pay for the hotel, we, we, you know, we, cover, we cover just about everything. And it's all included in one price. Uh, and it just varies depending on what, uh, what level of accommodation you want uh, and whether or not you're going to room with someone or not. But, um, but the idea is, is that uh, you've, got, you've got people that are, you know, are just coming in and uh, they're, they're, you know, you're having an opportunity to dialogue with them and build personal relationships. And so the faculty comes in because they love the caliber of people that show up and they like getting to know each other. These guys all speak you know, in different places. And sometimes uh, some of our faculty members aren't really public speakers, but they're subject matter experts. They're really smart at what they do. Yep. And nobody would ever know who they are because they're not out there on a circuit. They're just busy doing their thing. And we find them and we bring them in. And so we have this eclectic collection of faculty you can't get anywhere else, and yet we all are coming from one common theme, which is trying to understand what the macro factors are that are affecting the economic sea that we all swim in, and then how do we respond to the variables um, and you know what things are going to be of interest to us, and how do we get our family on board so that it is at work it becomes it becomes a family affair. So all of those things are part of what we do. We love doing it. I'm very excited to have you and Cynthia back again yep. for I don't know what, what is this like your 
eighth year? Eighth, eighth or yeah, I think it's eight, eight or nine. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. No, we, yeah. it's, it's our, it's our yearly, it's our yearly routine, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll post, we'll post some information on the, uh, on the show notes and also on the blog so that you can check out the details of the, uh, of, of the summit. We've, I've done a, I've done a podcast on, I've recorded it at least on the, on the summit every year. So for those that are listening, that have been listening, they know that, you know, that, uh, that we go every, every year, but, but Russ, it's been, you know, we're, we said that this is going to be a 20 to 30 minute podcast and we're almost at the hour, but it's, it's always a pleasure to, to talk to you. You're a, you're a mountain of knowledge and you know, it, it, for those that have not, uh, listened to the real estate guys podcast, I highly, I highly encourage it. Uh, some of the people that they interview and the topics that they cover uh, are, it, it's not commonplace and it's information that everybody needs to hear. And so I would definitely encourage you guys to, uh, to subscribe to their, uh, to their podcast. So we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and conclude Russ. Thank you again so much for, for being here. Your time I know is super valuable and I really appreciate it uh, that you've, uh, that you've spent some of it with, with us today. No, it's fantastic. Thanks for having me on Patrick. Really appreciate it. All right, we're back. That uh, wow, that was it's it's just an amazing opportunity to speak with Russ. And as you can see, he has so much to say. And guess what? You guys can be around him for an entire week if you come on the summit at Sea. It is a huge investment. Uh, there's really no interest that uh, that comes from it other than uh, the ideas that you get, the relationships you build and the action that you take. And so looking at the Summit at Sea, it is an event that I'll go to, probably go to every year for as long as I can, as long as it exists, just because of what I walk away from every single year. Uh, a new relationship, a new idea, uh, a higher level of motivation, the list goes on. So I hope everybody's able to uh, to go check out at least the podcast for the real estate guys and start listening to them. Uh, they have a great insight on things, on the economy, business, sales, real estate, uh, and you definitely will uh, benefit from from hooking up with them. Uh, and also, if you want information on uh, the the summit at sea, you can go to their website, which is realestateguys.realestateguysradio.com. Now that's it for today. Thanks, uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial.